0: So I started to think about writing this talk, this platform address, um, around the time that Robin Williams had died. And I don't know for everyone, but I think for a lot of people that was a very hard loss because he had done a lot of wonderful things in theater, in movies, on TV, humanitarian aid. He had, he had done a lot. And so his passing and the method of his passing was, was hard. Um, and of course when I thought about him the first thing that came to my mind was his movie The Dead Poet Society because that's my favorite movie of all time. It was life-changing for me when I read that I read that saw that. Who else has seen that movie? Oh. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> and for how many of you did it have a huge impact? Quite a few. Even today, this movie has a huge following. And there, if you do a Google search, you'll see, you'll see a lot, especially after his death. You'll see in here a lot about, um, about the things that he did in using quotes and such for that movie. I pulled a couple from, um, for, for different readings. The first one is from Variety. And I'm going to butcher his name. I'm sorry. His name is Peter DeBruge. And he wrote an article that was titled, How Robin Williams Inspired a Generation to Seize the Day. He said, part of what the Dead Poet Society that made it so powerful was the combination of Williams' charisma and a screenplay that encouraged independent thinking. As the nonconformist teacher at a straight-laced boarding school, Williams spoke not only to his class, but to an entire generation of moviegoers when he urged his students to seize the day. Because we are food for worms, lads, because, believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die, he says, paraphrasing Whitman as he urged them to recognize that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. I saw the movie in the theater in 1989 when it was released. I cried, and I thought about it for days afterwards. No movie had ever touched me in that way, and no movie has ever touched me like that since. In college, I rented a copy of the movie, you know, Blockbuster or one of those places. Um, I made an illegal copy. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And I watched it over and over again, and it was a horrible copy. Double, you know, how video cassettes were. Um, I watched it endless times. I memorized it. Its impact never dulled. The message was so clear to me. It shaped many of my world views. It told me that the world valued conformity, but we have to find our own way. It taught me to value life because we only get one chance at it. It told me we needed to find our own voice. It told, us, told me that we needed to make our own barbaric yap and I'll talk about that more later. So I thought back on this when I was thinking about doing this talk, and I realized it's right there. This is in line with ethical culture. And so there was my talk on how we can help our children find their own voice. So the Dead Poet Society. In many ways, it's kind of interesting that this resonated so much with me because I was 19, year olds, 19 years old when I saw it. I think that might be part of why it was life-changing, right? LAUGHTER um, But at the time I lived in Iowa, which is a working class part of the country, there wasn't this huge divide between the rich and the poor. There weren't private academies. There wasn't a huge push from parents to get their children into Ivy League schools. There were no Ivy League schools anywhere near, thousands of miles away. It was also the early 90s, not the 1950s, when the movie was set. I also knew nothing of, nor cared nothing for, poetry which is part of what this movie highlights. The feeling of the poetry as he spoke about life and our feelings about it. What I did feel, though, was the teenage angst, the desire to follow our own dreams and having society hold us back. I understood domineering parents to a degree, which this movie had in spades. I also understood how it would be very easy to go through life without ever really living it, to just kind of go through the motions. I had seen many of the adults in my life do just that. I saw how easy it would be to be just ordinary, and I didn't want that. I wanted to seek the extraordinary. I sensed how conformity was not the way I wanted to live or could live. I didn't want to look back on my life someday, wondering what I had done with it. I didn't want to have a feeling that I hadn't truly lived. One of the opening scenes in the movie, Mr. Keating, played by Robin Williams, takes a student, you probably remember this, he takes them out into the hallway and he seats them in front of, or has them stand in front of the display cases where there's pictures of past, like very long past, football teams, wrestling teams, trophies. And he has them look at these pictures. You see the boys staring at them one after another. After a moment, Keating, while pacing behind the young men, in his class, he says, They're not different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. Their world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make their lives even one iota of what they were capable Because you see, gentlemen, these these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in, listen, hear it, carpe, carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. That was very eye-opening to hear at 19 years old, because I was invincible right? It forced me to think of my own mortality, and it made me think about what I wanted to do with the life I had. I still feel that way, and I'm now 44 years old. What am I doing with my life? What do I want to do with my life? Am I making it extraordinary? This movie woke something within me, or maybe better put, it showed me that there were others out there that thought differently about the world, As I knew, I definitely saw things differently. I was in a sea of theists, and I was an atheist. Maybe there were really people like Mr. Keating. There had to be if someone wrote the character, right? Maybe there were other people who were different from the norm. Maybe it was okay to be a free thinker. Maybe there were others, perhaps. I watched the movie a few weeks ago as I was preparing for this talk, and I have to admit I was a little afraid to watch it because it had been about 20 years because I didn't watch that video cassette <laughs> that I had copied all those years ago. And I had once seen on TV the uncut version or the director's cut version that had some key things put back in, which I felt expanded the story. And I didn't want to see it again until I saw that uncut version. Well, I've been waiting and waiting 20 years and when Robin Williams died I realized you know I I need to see this movie again and especially as I was thinking about this and I was a little worried like well what if I don't feel that way about that movie anymore you know I'm not 19 anymore you know I maybe it's different but when I watched it I realized that no I I still really get this movie and it still means a lot Um, there are some parts that I remember verbatim other parts had slipped by me by before. I watched now, older than the teacher <laughs> that was in the movie. And I realized now how humanistic the movie was. I see some issues with the movie, definitely. It's not the best film that was ever made, definitely. But more than that, I realized its messages are what guided me to where I am today. In many ways, it got me here a Professional of Ethical Education, helping our children find their own voice. This movie, in a nutshell, is all about free thinking. I didn't have a word for it when I was 19, but I do now. I didn't even catch that they used the word free thinking in the movie. It didn't mean anything to me then, like it does now. So I'm going to share with you some of the scenes in the movie, since we're not really equipped to like show the movie <laughs> right now. So I'm going to do a few scenes um, that kind of touch with how it is a free-thinking movie and what, what, it's, what it means to me anyway. Um, so in the movie, Mr. Keating, the English teacher, tells the students at the very beginning class to rate poetry by how, by how it resonates with them, not by how an expert describes them to rate it. If you remember, there's like this Prickter scale, and you're supposed to do all, you know, and that's how you rate poetry. And he said, that's excrement. Rip that out. <laughs> you remember that? Rip it out. Get rid of it. Well, another teacher had walked by, and he had seen these students ripping up their textbook. Right? <laughs> and they're like, what's going on? right?" And so later, they're in the cafeteria. These two teachers are in the cafeteria. And McAllister was this Latin teacher. He says, quite an interesting class you gave today, Mr. Keating. I'm sorry if I shocked you, Mr. McAllister. Oh, there's no need to apologize. It was very fascinating, misguided though it was. You think so. You take a big risk by encouraging them to be artists, John. When they realize they're not Rembrandts, Shakespeares, or Mozarts, they'll hate you for it. We're not talking artists, George. We're talking free thinkers. Free thinkers at 17. Funny, I never pegged you as a cynic. I'm not a cynic, I'm just a realist. I never noticed they said free thinkers before. A scene or two later in the movie, Keating climbs atop his desk and says to his English class, remember, he's up on the top, and they're all looking at him like he's crazy. He said, just when you think you know something, you have to look at it another way. Even though it may seem silly or wrong, you must try. Now when you read, don't just consider what the author thinks, consider what you think. Boys, you must strive to find your own voice, because the longer you wait to begin, the less likely you are to find it at all. Thoreau said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Don't be resigned to that. Break out. Later in another scene, when Keating is teaching about poetry for his class, he takes them out to a courtyard for an exercise. He picks three students who are built very differently walk very differently, and he has, just says, walk the courtyard, just, whoa, just walk. And so they did. And in the beginning, they walked freely, as they normally walk. They were at different cadences, different strides. Within moments, their walking synced, and the rest of the class started to clap along with the beat. Keating stopped them, and then he made his point, and he discussed with the class, all right now, I brought these boys up here to illustrate the point, to illustrate the point of conformity. The difficulty in maintaining your own beliefs in the face of others. Now, those of you, I see the look in your eyes, you said I would have walked differently. Well, I ask yourself then, well, ask yourself then why are you clapping along? Now, we all have a great need for acceptance, but you must trust your beliefs are unique, your own, even though others may find them odd or unpopular. Even though the herd may go, that's bad. Remember? <laughs> I'm not Robin Williams. I'm sorry. <laughs> Robert Frost said, two roads diverge into a wood, and I took the one less traveled by. And, I made, and that made all the difference. Now I want you to find your own walk right now, your own way of striding, pace, any direction, anything you want, whether it's proud, whether it's silly, Anything. Gentlemen, the courtyard is yours. A bit later, the head of the school, Mr. Nolan, comes to talk to Mr. Keating about this exercise. He was observing it from the window, going, What is my English teacher doing, having these students walking around in the courtyard? And so he asks, What was going on in the courtyard the other day? Oh, that. That was an exercise to prove a point. Dangers of conformity. Mr. Nolan Well, John, the curriculum here is set. It's proven it works. If you question what's to prevent them from doing the same. (laughs) I always thought the idea of educating was to learn to think for yourself. At these boys' ages, not on your life. Tradition, John, discipline. Prepare them for college, and the rest will take care of itself. Does that resonate with anyone? (laughs) So in the movie, Mr. Keating teaches the same curriculum as has always been taught. He uses the same textbook that has always been used. The materials didn't differ. What differed was how he taught the material. In the past, the students were taught to believe that what they were told to believe was to believe what other people believed, not what they believed themselves. But this teacher wanted more from them. He wanted to know their thoughts on the poems they were reading. He said, yes, we need to critique them. We need to understand them. But I want to know what you think. Your thoughts matter. That hadn't been asked of them before. It seemed pretty clear. In the movie when Mr. Keating was trying to get his students to think about poetry and write poetry, he quoted a famous line from Walt Whitman poem, Song of Myself. Now, if you've ever looked up Song of Myself, it's enormously long. It has fifty-two sections, and then each section there are twelve verses. And in the very last one, the very last section, it says, I sound my barbaric yop from the rooftops of the world. And this is what he w- wanted his this is what he wanted his students to do. But what does that mean? What does what did Keating mean really? A barbaric yop, a yap is a loud cry or yell. But what it meant to Mr. Keating and in the Deadpool Society was that a yop was a student's voice, their thoughts about life. Mr. Keating wanted students to find that voice and not to be sheep, just like we want our children here at West to find their voices too. So the movie was set in a private, elite preparatory school. We are an ethical society, Sunday school, and we aren't an academic institution. We aren't teaching for mastery. We don't say you need to know these eight core values. You need to know everything about Felix Adler. You need to know every religion, and we're going to test you. No, we don't do that here. We do want them to have a general understanding of these things. We want them to be familiar with these things. But we want them to experience it. We want them to discuss it. We want them to form their own opinions on it. It's the opposite of traditional church teachings where they are asked to not think, but to have faith. Here, faith isn't part of it. What do you think? Why do things happen? And what do we feel about it? Now that you know the history of where and how various religions formed, how do you feel about it? What makes sense to you? What puzzles you? What about climate change? What about dealing with people different from you? And so on. Those are the things we're asking from them. So for this month of October, as I just see a string of children walk outside, for this month of October, some of our classes are teaching around this theme, um, this month's theme, which right here for October is death. And we are talking about death. Our preschool class is learning about the life cycle by examining nature around them, especially the tree's life cycle. They're talking about how seedlings and the maturity, then the seasons, dying. They might now be looking at the garden, how it's changing as the season's coming to a close. They're noticing the leaves falling. And our workshop rotations, which is our um, kindergarten to fifth grade classes, they are also talking about death. The first week, if you remember, we had a story about the 10 good things about Barney. So they went and they picked something or someone who has passed away and they wrote 10 things about that animal or a family member or friend or they wrote a story or they drew a picture and I wasn't sure how that was going to go. And I was astounded by how they set to it and they really, it meant something to them and it felt good to them to find a place to be able to write about it, to be able to draw a picture about it and then to be able to share about it if they wanted to. They also, they um, also, Splitting up in two different times during the month, they're going to be taking a tour of West to look around to check out our memorials that we have and to talk about why we have them, what they mean, who they're for. Today, um, they're going to be learning about the Day of the Dead and how different cultures celebrate and deal with death. And all the while, the teachers will be listening to the children's thoughts and encouraging them to express their feelings helping them find these voices, and in a way, helping them find a barbaric yop. Our sixth graders, who aren't meeting today, unfortunately, because the class was a little small, um, they're learning about Judaism and the neighboring faiths class. Our seventh and eighth graders are learning about relationships and communication and sexuality in, this, in the year-long sexuality course they're taking. All of these classes are encouraging discussion around the students' thought on topics. So, no, we aren't an academic school but we do teach topics to help our students to think. Mr. Keating used poetry. We use feelings, social topics, seasons, our monthly themes. We could even use poetry if we wanted to. And we teach something different at every single ethical society. I just came from the Northern Virginia Ethical Society. There we have year-long curriculums that are some are from the Unitarian um, church that we've borrowed from some are from other secular organizations we borrowed from and some are created by members of Novas. here at west we also borrow some things from the unitarian um, uh, programs though not the same ones that Novas is using so that's kind of interesting um, we have lessons that are created around our theme and we have lessons that were created by west members I'm now also contacting other ethical societies because I'm on the national board for the American Ethical Education, ethical, ah, American Ethical Union Ethical Education Committee. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! So I'm on that committee, and I'm going to be doing a talk in the fall, and one of the things we're doing is creating... Um, a. Sunday school in a shoebox for societies that don't have a Sunday school. And so I'm contacting other societies. And we all do something different. Some have a different theme every week and they all learn the same thing. Some just have um, the students here listening to the platform and then they discuss with it afterwards. So we all do something different. And that's okay. There isn't a need to teach one unified curricula. We have each found ways to get the main point of getting our children to think for themselves. And it's not just here. It's, it's all of them, right? We teach to feelings. We teach about other religions and their practices. We teach about social equality. We teach about deed before creed. And we teach about what it means to be an ethical culturist. What unifies us is how we teach. In all the classes, teachers ask, what do you think? and encourage students to form their own thoughts on whatever topic they're discussing. I once had a mother who had four little children, and they were there every Sunday. And they were totally into it. And I, I asked her once, like, well, you know, what do, you know, what, and they seemed excited to always, <laughs> to always be there. I'm like, well, what, what is for them? Why do they like to come? And they said, well, when they're here, they feel that they matter. They feel that we listen to them. We feel that we care about them, and we do, and they can feel that. And I heard that. My heart just really smiled because I was like, wow, you know, we're doing what we're setting out to do, and that's pretty powerful. We were helping our children to find the barbaric job. Now, we aren't trained professionals teaching our children. Sure, some of our volunteers are teachers, but most of the teachers here and in most of the societies are people like you. Grandmothers, uncles, recent college grads, retirees, us. And it's wonderful for children to get a mix of teachers, people of their parents' age, people of their grandparents' age, people who are just out of college or just out of high school. And it's wonderful because we each provide a different perspective, right? and we each can pull out something different from the youth we can all help our child to find a way to start their extraordinary life so when i was in the grocery store checkout i saw this time special magazine devoted to robin williams now i don't buy magazines but this one caught my eye and since i thought he was an amazing person i thought he was extraordinary i decided to get it and the opening words to the magazine's interior here says, "A life extraordinary." What his dead poet society character wished for his students is what Robin Williams achieved for real. A few pages later, another article says, "If his solo comedy work aimed to challenge and astound, most of his films tended to reassure, to touch the heart, and touch the heart he did." and he will be greatly, greatly missed. And part of the greatness of the Dead Poet Society was how Robin Williams played the character of Mr. Keating. He was totally able to persuade me that he cared, that he had a passion for teaching, and he had a passion for helping his children learn and for helping them find them their own voices. So in many ways, he made Mr. Keating real to me. And even though the Dead Poets Society had tragedy that saddened my 19-year-old heart, I didn't walk away from the movie feeling sad and depressed. Because in the end of the movie, the students sounded in protest and support of what they thought was right. When the young men of Mr. Keating's English class stood on top of their desks and said, oh, captain, my captain, I felt hope hope because I saw that they had found their voice and they weren't afraid to show it. They weren't afraid of the consequences. They knew what was important to do. And so they stood up and they let that teacher know you matter and you made a difference. They were not afraid. Mr. Keating had helped them, helped them find a way to do that. And they realized that their thoughts mattered and expressing those thoughts mattered. It inspired me to do the same for myself in my, in my own life, and later to help our youth find their own voices. And maybe it might inspire you to do the same with our youth.